0: Amen. A couple of those songs this morning, especially that last one, have echoes of Psalm 23. and Maybe that's a psalm that you're familiar with, maybe one that you've memorized, but at the end of Psalm 23, verse 6, David writes this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Well, that follow me is exactly what we just sang. Pursue me. Chase after me. In Christianity, we have a God who pursues us. And that's exactly what we're seeing as we work our way through the gospel of Matthew. We're seeing how the pursuit of God is revealed in the person of his son, Jesus. So if you would... Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Last week, uh, we watched Jesus pass the test of Satan in the wilderness. We watched him succeed where we often fail. You and I, we're like that, that marathon runner. That concept may be a foreign one to you, it's a foreign one to me, but uh, we're like that runner... Who quits before the race is over. Jesus is the one that keeps going. Despite the burning in his lungs and the numbness in his legs, he keeps running. And he crosses the finish line. And he is our champion. That's what we saw last week. Now that Jesus has been tested, or at least that Jesus' testing has begun, uh, Jesus begins his ministry. And Matthew gives us a a view uh, of what that ministry looks like. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. Uh, If you don't have a copy of God's Word, please use the the one that's in the chair there. Uh, Our passage today, you should find it on page 809. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Now when he, that is Jesus... Heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, just so you don't get lost before we even get started. uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, those are two of the tribes of of Old Testament Israel. Those were regions in the north of the promised land. Okay, Uh, and so that's... Just to give you a sense of geography, that's where Jesus is beginning his ministry in the, in the north part, northern part of what used to be uh, Israel. Zebulun and Naphtali, verse 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, Because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishermen of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Those having seizures and paralytics and he healed them and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Thus far the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired and good word. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. And ask for his help. Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing and now the preaching of your holy word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Bring your word with power, Lord. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When you read about the life of Jesus, you see that he talked about God's kingdom a lot. The kingdom of God is a a common phrase, particularly in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, but it's basically the same thing. In fact, what Matthew tells us in verse 17 is that God's kingdom is Jesus' central message. Uh, When Jesus spoke, the the summary of his ministry is the fact that he proclaimed the kingdom of God. So if we're going to understand Jesus' message, we probably should understand what exactly the kingdom of God is. And here we run into something of a dilemma. Jesus actually never defines what the kingdom of God is. And now he's going to tell some parables that say what the kingdom of God is like. He does that. But nowhere do we find a a description. He doesn't give us kind of a dictionary definition of what the kingdom of God is. And we don't see anyone around him asking. So clearly they understood. His original hearers understood what it was that Jesus was talking about. We also don't see the Old Testament ever use the phrase, and yet, It's actually the reality of the kingdom is all over the Bible. Uh, So what are we supposed to do? How can we figure out what Jesus is talking about? Well, the good news is that Matthew, uh, in his gospel, Jesus talks a lot about God's kingdom. So we're going to learn about it from the mouth of Jesus as we go through the book. But we do need to make a start somewhere. And so today we're going to talk about three things. Of course, it's always three Uh, We're going to talk about the good news of the kingdom, the demonstration of the kingdom, and our response to the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. Let's at least get a basic definition. Really, really short, uh, really basic. God's kingdom is his rule. So it doesn't refer so much to a place as those Over whom he rules. Better yet. And what Jesus is getting at. Is. God's kingdom is where God is acknowledged. Or recognized as king. And so Christians believe. And the Bible teaches that God is king over every square inch of creation. But that's. Not accepted by everyone. Not everyone recognizes that reality. In fact, the Bible would suggest that that's really our core problem: that we don't acknowledge that God is King, and so God's kingdom has to be revealed. God's kingly rule has to be revealed to us. Here's the the definition that we use in our Bible Foundations class. Hopefully, a class that we'll offer again in the fall. God's kingdom is when God's people are living under God's rule and blessing. That's a, a, that's, that'll be our working definition of God's kingdom. Uh, we get that from a man named Graham Goldsworthy, a, a Bible scholar. Um, here's what Jesus' fellow Jews were looking forward to. When they, uh, when they heard the phrase, kingdom of God, here's what they were expecting. Based on the Old Testament promises, prophets, they were waiting for a day when God would reveal his kingly power, when God would punish his enemies and rescue his people. That was that was the hope of Israel based on what the prophets said, that God's kingdom would be revealed when he would show up and punish his enemies and rescue his people. And at that point, all would be set right. Uh, the word that the Bible uses for that moment is shalom, peace, that that everything is everything is put to right. Now, you're probably not. I don't know every single person in this room, but you're probably not Jewish, and you may not even believe the Bible. But isn't that sort of what you're looking for? Do you you have that that longing that ache, that all things would be made right, the Bible would say that what you're looking for, even if you didn't know it, is the kingdom of God. And so you have an idea of how these people feel when this man, Jesus, shows up, saying, I've got good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Now, Matthew sets this up for us. Uh, by showing how Jesus is fulfilling, once again, an Old Testament promise, this time from the prophet Isaiah. Look at verses 15 and 16. He talks about the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. Jesus begins his ministry in a very unlikely place, right? For the for your average Jewish person, Jerusalem would have been the center of the universe, right? If there's going to be a king, a Messiah, who shows up and brings the kingdom, surely it would be there. But actually, what, I, what Isaiah saw, what Matthew points to, is that no, the, the, the kingdom begins in a very unlikely place. In Isaiah's day, this, this region, this would have been the way that conquering armies came in. Uh, To devour Israel. They would have come in. That's why um, Isaiah said that they were the people dwelling in the shadow of death. Because this would have been the way God's enemies would have invaded the land. And yet it's precisely to these people that Isaiah says. that, That Isaiah sees a day when light will dawn. And Matthew picks that up and says, this is the day. This is the day that Isaiah saw this is the day when those who are sitting in darkness, dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. This is the day when light dawns on those dwelling near death. You see, when Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom, he does it against the backdrop of bad news. God's kingdom invades a world where people are dominated by sin and evil And death. And they need to be rescued. George Ladd puts it this way. People are in bondage to a personal power stronger than themselves. At the very heart of our Lord's mission is the need of rescuing people from bondage to the satanic kingdom and of bringing them into the sphere of God's kingdom. So when Jesus shows up, announcing the good news of the kingdom, that's what he's announcing. He's announcing that the king has come to set people free, to liberate them, to bring them into God's kingdom. How does Jesus demonstrate that message? Well, Matthew uses three words to describe Jesus's ministry. If you look in verse 23, he says he was teaching... In their synagogues. And so every week uh, the Jews would gather. uh, And they would have the Old Testament, usually the law, read to them. And then a man in the synagogue would stand up and would teach them from that passage. Similar to what we're doing now. Uh, That's what Jesus would do. He would uh, teach the people in the synagogues. Instructing them on the meaning of the scriptures. But then also, Matthew says, Jesus went about preaching the good news proclaiming announcing the good news that's what that word gospel means it means good news Jesus goes around proclaiming the good news of what God is doing and that's what we just talked about and then the third component of Jesus's ministry was healing Matthew says that Jesus went throughout all Galilee teaching proclaiming and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then Matthew gives us a list of what that looks like in verse 24. As Jesus' Jesus's fame spreads, people come from all over the region, even into the region next door. They're coming to Jesus, and we see that uh, we see sicknesses. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with very disease, various diseases and pains. Those oppressed, the word there, uh, constrained, bound up, the the demon-possessed, paralytics, those who have seizures, epileptics. So I want you to think for a minute about a day without modern medicine uh, and what this would have meant to those people. In fact, even with all of the advancements of our modern medicine We still understand these things, do we not? Uh, We still understand the weakness of our bodies uh, and the constraint and oppression that we feel. Maybe not as acutely as they did, but we certainly understand. But why these people? Because these are the people who feel the darkness most acutely. These are the desperate ones who are crying out for release. Uh, These are the people who who understand, maybe even better than those of us who have whole bodies, uh, they understand what the fall has done to humanity. How sickness and death have entered in and cursed our existence. And so in that way, the sick and the demon-possessed, and by the way, uh, demon possession is not does, does not necessarily mean mental illness. And those are two different things, uh, in, even in the New Testament itself. Uh, But the sick and the demon-possessed are a physical example of our spiritual need. So while we we may not be a paralytic, the paralytic is a living outside example of what we all are on the inside, desperately sick and needy. And so Jesus demonstrates the kingdom by healing these people. When Jesus heals and casts out demons, what he's doing is he's showing God's kingdom. He's making, his deeds demonstrate his words. So he's not just preaching, but he's also healing. He's not only helping people spiritually, he's helping them physically. Jesus is making people whole. He's setting free those who are bound in death. And darkness, and he does it to demonstrate the power of God's kingdom breaking in to this world. Now, I want you to think for a second about the compassion of Jesus. What do we do? What do we typically do when someone who is needy comes to us? And I won't pretend that you're as selfish as I am. So I'll just use myself as the example. I do a little cost-benefit analysis. You know what that is? Right? A cost-benefit. You, you, you decide, okay, what's this gonna cost me in terms of time, money, resources, and what's in it for me? What's the benefit? And by the way, that, 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 in and of itself, that's a decision you make hundreds of times a day. Right? We all do cost-benefit analysis all the time. Every, every time you turn the key in the ignition of your car, you're making a cost-benefit decision. Right? You've decided, you, you've weighed the cost of driving versus walking and the benefit of driving versus walking, and you've said driving's better. Right? That's what, that's what a cost-benefit analysis, analysis is. Uh, we do that when people present us with a need. What is it that sick people bring to the table? What do the oppressed bring to the table? What do demon-possessed people contribute to the kingdom? Nothing. In fact, from a cost-benefit perspective, it's actually worse than nothing. They bring their need. All they bring is their need. And I'll even go a step further. Many of these people that Jesus heals, they don't actually end up following him. At least not that we know of. So even as Jesus heals them, he can't even count on their allegiance, on their loyalty. But how good is Jesus? These people bring nothing but their need. And he gladly meets it. Jesus demonstrates the kingdom by liberating those who are bound by sin and evil and death. How should we respond to the arrival of God's kingdom? Well, there's there's two we can see in this passage. And the first one comes in verse 17. Connected to this announcement that the kingdom has come near, Jesus gives a command. He says... Repent. We've talked about this before, but it's worth repeating. To repent is to turn back to God. It's to leave your sin and return to Him. Then that's exactly what the Old Testament prophets called the people to do again and again and again. What this tells us is that if God's kingdom has come in Jesus... Then I cannot remain complacent or indifferent. There is an action that that calls me to, and the right action, the right response is to repent. If light has dawned, then I need to turn into the light rather than crawl further into the darkness. You see, unlike earthly kingdoms, no one is naturally born into God's kingdom. Uh, Many of us are American citizens by birth. We didn't really have anything to do with it. We were born into the kingdom of America. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. No one is naturally born into God's kingdom. And that was a hard word for many of the Jews of Jesus' day to hear. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells us about the Jewish Pharisee, uh, excuse me, Jesus tells the Jewish Pharisee Nicodemus, he's a religious leader, he's a teacher, and he tells Nicodemus something shocking. He says, in order for you to see the kingdom, you must be born again. You must have a second birth. What this tells us is that no one is naturally fit for the kingdom. We must repent. We must turn in order to receive, to go through the door of the kingdom but then there's a second response that we see here, and it's, we see it in Jesus' call to those first disciples. Look at verse 18. Jesus sees two brothers, Simon and Andrew, uh, and as they're in the middle of their work, or maybe cleaning up after a night's work, Jesus says, follow me. Now, In Jesus' day, you you had lots of different rabbis, and they had lots of different disciples. And typically, if you were going to be a disciple of a particular rabbi, a particular teacher, you chose to follow them. But Jesus here chooses his followers. He picks his followers. He goes to them and says, follow me. And he's not inviting them for a stroll along the seashore. Literally what he says, there's not even a command here. He just says, come after me. He's inviting them uh, to do what disciples would have done in that day, to walk behind. You would have seen a, a rabbi as he walked would teach and his disciples would literally walk behind him. Jesus calls them to walk with him, to learn from him, to pattern their lives after his that's what it means to be a disciple. That The word that we use for disciple could really be a combination of two words. It's a learner and a follower. Somebody who is learning to live from their master. That's what Jesus is inviting these men to. And what does he say would be the result? They would, instead of catching fish, start catching people. So the call to follow Jesus... Is a call that keeps calling. Those who are called to follow Jesus then end up calling others to follow Jesus. And it keeps going and going and going. And we see that they left their nets. That word for left can mean abandoned. They turned from being fishermen to being Jesus' disciples. They took a new course of action. We see that James and John not only left their nets, they even left their father. Now, don't worry, Mark tells us that Zebedee had other workers, so they didn't, like, leave their dad to work the, the sea on his own. But what we see in, both, in the example of all four is that they immediately make a break with a former way of life. That doesn't mean they cut their families off. In many cases, it doesn't mean they stopped fishing. Uh, We'll see later that they still do that some. But what happens is their lives have been radically reshaped. They they make a a break with the ordinary pattern of life. And that tells us what following Jesus looks like. It doesn't mean that every follower of Jesus goes into full-time paid ministry. But it does mean that if you're following Jesus as king... Will you actually live like Jesus is your King? You're, you you radically change, or He radically changes your priorities and pursuits. And so, kids and students, it changes how you do your schoolwork. Adults, it changes how you do your work. You're no longer just a farmer; you're a follower of Jesus. You're no longer just a banker, you're a follower of Jesus, and that has an impact on how you, on what you do with your life. I found a, a good illustration of this uh, in a recent issue of World magazine. There's a story about two grandparents uh, who lived uh, several hundred miles away from their kids and grandkids uh, and since they were at retirement age they pulled up roots, Uh, they downsized from their 4,000 square foot home, uh, and they moved to a condo in Birmingham to be near their children and grandchildren for the express purpose of discipling them, of pointing them towards Jesus, making sure they're spending regular time with them. That's what it looks like uh, to be a follower who calls others to follow. And so what we see in all of this is that Jesus is bringing God's rule and blessing into the hurting and lost world. He brings the kingdom. And the question for you and I is what will we do with it? Will we remain in the dark? Or will we repent? Will we continue to live as if we are king? Or will we follow Jesus As king. His is the best kingship. Because here we do not have a ruler. Who stands over us and rules us with a fist of iron. We have a king who has gone before us. And gives up his life. So that we can enter into his blessing. Have you experienced the blessing. Of being in God's kingdom. Let me pray. Gracious God. I pray that we would take your words to heart, that we would see the beauty and the blessing of your kingdom, and that you would be at work in us. Lord, for those who do not yet know you as their king, would you help us to repent? And Lord, for those of us who have repented, may we be continually repentant, but Lord, would you also help us to continually follow you? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we have our time of congregational prayer, I mentioned that today is um, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, uh, and so I'm going to invite Ashley Live Oak with Care Nut to come on up, uh, and as she is coming, well, you know what? I'm not going to steal any of her thunder. I'll let her talk, and then, uh, then I'll come up and pray for you.
1: Good morning. Thank you all for having me here. Um, I brought with me today Brianna Dean. She's our Outreach and Parenting Education Coordinator. Brian Dean, her husband, um, is one of our fatherhood champions. Um, and I brought my husband as well, my biggest supporter. Um, I'm so grateful to be here, and I'm so grateful for Grace Fellowship. Um, y'all are monthly contributors to CareNet. And so by y'all donating, it makes it possible to provide services for women who find themselves in crisis pregnancy. So thank you. Um, Not only do we provide that, we also provide parenting classes. Last year we did 169 parenting classes. Um, And so that is growing. And I was expressing the need in Sunday school. Um, We need space. Um, We have over 21 mamas that come on Wednesdays for classes. And Um, Actually, if you are serving in CareNet by watching um, the babies of these mamas, will you please stand or have in the past? Will you please stand? I want to say thank you for that. Um, Without these women and young women serving in that way, we would not be able to have these classes. with their support in watching these children, it gives mamas a minute to themselves. And what we're finding is after they complete their pregnancy class, after they complete the boundaries class and parent university, they want to come back for a Bible study. And so right now, and I mentioned it was a prayer request, next week um, Christ's crucifixion is the subject matter. We're going through the book of John. So ask for your prayers for that. I asked for the Holy Spirit to move, Um, but I really just wanted to say thank you this morning because without y'all, we would not be able to do what we do. Um, I wanted to share some information about future plans. Abortion pill reversal is something that we are moving in the direction in. Our medical director is on board, and we should have that up and going here in the next couple of months. We also are looking to open a maternity home, Selah's Oasis, here in the community. Since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we have found that that is a huge need. I can tell you now that I know four mamas specifically that I could put into the maternity home who have a need. And so what that looks like is they would have a place to room, or they would have a room to live in. There would be a crib, a bed for mom, and if they have another small child, that child as well. It would be a family atmosphere, so we would encourage um, them to eat together, to learn how to cook, do parenting classes, maintain a job, save money, um, so they can be on their own. They could stay in the maternity home up to a year of the child. And by then, if they've stayed with us nine months through pregnancy and then a year after baby is born, they can move on and hopefully develop some independence and be successful as that at that. So, I ask you to join in praying for that endeavor. God's given the vision, so we're trusting Him to provide the rest of the way. So, thank you all so much.
0: Thank you, Ashley. Uh, please, after after the service is over today, uh, would you please come and, and welcome Ashley and her staff and uh, talk with them and ask them any questions. One thing that, that did come up in um, uh, Ashley's presentation earlier uh, was the need for fathers, uh, and that that is something of an emphasis uh, here for, for me personally, uh, but for us as a church, oftentimes uh, we will uh, focus on women and children, and we certainly do love women and children, uh, but I, I am fundamentally committed to the idea that um, that men, strong, Christ-like men, are necessary for the success of families, uh, the success of marriages, uh, for the success of our society. Uh, and so as men uh, come to Care Net as well, uh, they, are in need of, they are in need of good men, to uh, lead, to mentor, to teach. Uh, and so maybe that's a need that the Lord uh, is laying on your heart. Uh, a couple of words about uh, abortion in America. Uh, two, two resources that I would recommend to you if you're um, wanting to, to read a book and even engage your mind in this discussion. Uh, Randy Alcorn has a book called Pro-Life Answers to Pro-Choice Arguments. Uh, and shows uh, not just biblical reasons, but also logical and scientific reasons uh, why abortion, uh, how to counter a lot of the arguments typically made by abortion supporters. Uh, World News Group, I mentioned World Magazine earlier, World News Group is a, is a good, solid, trusted news source. And they actually did a, um, a panel, you can find it on YouTube or on their podcast feed, called Row at 50. Give you some of the historical and legal background. Uh, Roe v. Wade would have turned 50 years old this year. Uh, and so, first, we give God thanks uh, for the Dobbs v. Jackson decision that happened last summer. We can praise God for that. Uh, but it's also become apparent, uh, as good as legal victories are, and legal victories are moral victories, usually. Uh, but it's also become apparent uh, that culture has shifted in 50 years. Uh, and even as the decision has returned to the states, uh, several laws uh, pr- protecting life have been struck down, and laws uh, advocating abortion on demand have been um, passed. Uh, and so it's clear that uh, we only, only need to be ruled by the law. Uh, we need to be ruled by hearts. Uh, and now is the time. Uh, what we need is a change in the heart and mind of the American people uh, that, once again, favors life over death, favors life over personal autonomy. Uh, that, is, that is the God of the United States of America, personal autonomy. Um, but if Jesus is king, then personal autonomy has its limits. Uh, and that is not a very popular thing to say, uh, but it is the truth. And so we need to be prepared to engage in that discussion And we need to seek God's face uh, to change our hearts and minds, the hearts and minds of our fellow citizens. So, let's pray. Our good and gracious King, we begin by thanking you. We thank you for the moral victory of Dobbs v. Jackson, We thank you that Roe v. Wade has been struck down and that abortion on demand is no longer the law of the land. And yet, even as we thank you for that, Lord, we acknowledge that the battle is not done. Lord, would you change the hearts and minds of our neighbors Uh, Our problem runs deep. Lord, uh, and even we have to confess that we favor convenience uh, over what's right and good and true. Lord, would you help us to engage with those around us uh, who are in need? Those who find themselves in a position that they do not want to be in. Just like these moms. Who come through the doors of CareNet Every week. Every day. Who find themselves in a position. They do not want to be in. Lord would you help us. To come alongside. Uh, and offer. Whatever we are able to offer. Lord I thank you for. The people from our church who have come alongside. Lord, I thank you for uh, CareNet and for the staff at CareNet and for the volunteers at CareNet who are loving these women and teaching these women and showing these women a better way, pointing these women to you, calling these women to follow you. Lord, would you bless their efforts? Holy Spirit, we even heard that. Uh, In in Ashley's presentation earlier, that many have come to know you. Lord, thank you for working in the midst of these crises. We pray uh, for some of the things that Ashley's asked for. Lord, would you provide for them more space? uh, Space for offices and classrooms, all of the different uh, services that they offer. Lord, would you provide for them uh, a maternity home? A place where moms can recuperate and get on their feet and find support and gain independence. Lord, would you provide uh, the volunteers and teachers necessary? Lord, I pray particularly for men, uh, fathers, to come alongside these new dads and point them to you. Lord, would you provide the funding that they need for all of their programs Uh, as well as for uh, securing and opening their maternity home. Lord, we thank you uh, that you are at work. Would you peel our eyes to see where you are at work? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our song of response.